Idleman Unplugged is part of the Edify Podcast Network. I want to see your face Pass me by the crowds of people The who sing your praise Hello, my name is Shane Eidelman, and I'm the pastor of Westside Christian Fellowship in Leona Valley, California. It is my personal heart and goal for you to see truth through a biblical perspective. I hope that you enjoy this segment of Eidelman Unplugged. Pastor Shane Eidelman, thank you so much for joining our podcast this morning. Uh, it's a privilege to be here, especially when you're contending for truth. That we just we have to get the this voice out there, your voice, John, uh, John's voice, my voice, and I think that's what God's using more of words right now is, is to just contend for that truth. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, it's uh, truth is um, a much more controversial topic these days than, than anyone would think. And we're going to dive into that just a, in just a second. For those of us, uh, for those of you who are familiar with our podcast, um, uh, there's one person missing. Dr. John Knox is not with us today. Mm-hmm. I did not kick him off the podcast. I just want you to know that the Lynchburg, Virginia area is experiencing some severe storms right now, and he's lost power. So um, uh, as the old expression uh, goes, Shane, the podcast must go on. So we're moving forward. Uh, We certainly wanted to uh, make sure that we uh, uh, took advantage of our time uh, with you and and for you to be so gracious to to spend time with us. We'd like to dive into um, an article that that you wrote to the Christian Post. Um, And I'll tell you why you uh, really jumped on our radar, uh, Shane. Uh, John and I uh, read the article from... um, Andy Stanley and CNN, this is CNN interview. And I, I reached out to John and I said, we've got to do a response podcast to this and to mm-hmm. his, some of his comments. And then we read your article and John and I both decided there's no way we could say it any better than how you said it. So that's really what prompted us to, uh, uh, to uh, invite you and share your perspective, because we thought you were right on on a number of different things. Uh, just for everybody's purpose, this is not uh, um, a, um, an intention to try to uh, take shots at Andy Stanley uh, on any level. We are concerned about a couple of comments that he made. And uh, we'd like to explore those and maybe challenge some aspects of the comments that uh, that he made before I jump into that, though, Shane, um, you you are a bit of a unicorn from a standpoint of your biblically grounded um, uh, basis. And as I've uh, really done some research on you and listened to a number of your sermons um, you've got a number of books uh, out there which talk about the role of the Christian in society. Uh, I, I just think your perspective is uh, uh, unique and amazing. Uh, can you share with us the scope of the challenge of pastoring a biblically grounded church in California uh, in that mission field? Uh, a state known as a breeding ground for uh, a wide range of ideologies uh, from pagan to in some cases, Shane, outright lunacy. Can you talk about that challenge of, of ministering in, in that mission field? Yeah, I'd love to. And we're actually in Southern California, Los Angeles County. And so with Newsom, you know, the governor and Gascon is our DA in Los Angeles. Um, and, you know, I, I was pondering that question, uh, 
probably over the last day or so. And I think it has a lot to do with calling versus choice. Um, you know, and D. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his great book, Preachers and Preaching, talked about you become conscience of a call. And that's that the true calling of God. And I think a lot of people really aren't called to the ministry. They they're, or the pastorate, they want to, you know, they like people, they want a, a good career, they think, and unless you're called, it'll, it'll, it'll consume you. And so I've been called to California. Uh, it's where God has me. Thank God for, you know, John MacArthur's an hour away. Uh, Jack Hibbs about an hour and a half and, and Rob McCoy. And I, so I talked to, to both Jack and, and Rob, you know, now and then, and kind of keeps us uh, together in that, in that form of unity and knowing there's, there's some camaraderie out there. Also, there's some solid churches. I've got friends in, you know, Calvary Chapel movement, uh, Southern Baptist convention or Southern Baptist churches, uh, reformed churches. And there's, there's a lot of solid churches. Uh, we just don't hit the radar as often because the negative news hits the radar. But I mean, from down even Southern uh, San Diego, uh, there's, there's all the way up to the Northern California. I do know of, of quite a few solid churches in California. So there is hope for California and God often uses these dark moments. And it's, it's our only hope really right now is a spiritual awakening. I mean, that, that's, that's our only hope. Uh, like John Knox cried, give me Scotland for the cause of Christ or I shall die. We need to be saying, give me America, give me California for the cause of Christ or I shall die. So to answer your question, it's more of a calling than a, 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 um, a choice. And we've had, I've never seen more people move out of California in all of my life combined than who, who moved in the last two years. Um, are we, we've pr- at least lost well over 200 plus people. Uh, but we actually grew during COVID because we stayed open. And so that was in another interesting uh, time as well. So to answer the question, just feeling that God has called us here. And, and if I move just to get away from California, that's the, am I moving based on fear? Am I moving because I'm disgruntled and upset or Lord, where do you want us? Where, where have you, where have you planted us? Cause wherever you're at, being in the center of God's will is the safest spot you can be. As God prepared you for this, um, what do you think was the basis of um, uh, how your message has been refined in listening to your sermons? Mm. Um, you, um, you know, you really wield a sword of truth and, and everything um, that mm. um, uh, that you mentioned as far as being relevant to today is yeah. absolutely biblically grounded. Um, that didn't happen by accident or osmosis. Uh, tell me how um, God prepared you and your heart um, to be that clear in interpreting, uh, you know, a book that was written 2000 years ago and interpreting relevance to 21st century America. Gosh, I could spend some time there, but I'll give you the abridged version. Cause I think it's an important question. Um, what your audience probably won't know and what, people will probably be Googling and finding out is, is, you know, what denomination are we and where did I go to seminary? Uh, they're going to be very pr- surprised to find out. I barely graduated high school with a 1.8 and uh, dyslexia, learning disability, reading disability. And so the books to me, I just laugh. How, how do you write a dozen books and can't even spell well? Uh, because I had my mom editing and editing. And so God took a very broken person. And when God breaks you, he rebuilds you. And so now I can step up to the pulpit with the calling and anointing of God and not trusting. Like, how can I trust in my, my, 
and I'm all I'm all for education. I mean, I read systematic theology, Wayne Grudem. I read Hodges' systematic theology and Calvin's and Spurgeon's lectures to my students, and I just devoured thousands of books uh, when I came to to know the Lord. And so I've, I've got a lot of theology because we need that. But you can be straight as a gun barrel theologically and just as empty. So I think that was just the work of the Holy Spirit, just breaking me and humbling me. And then then from that prayer closet, those times with the Lord, and uh, I, I was in construction uh, early on in my year. So I'm used to getting up at four in the morning, like I did this morning, three thirty four in the morning, and those just couple hours of that precious time with God. And and then from that comes the sermon, from that comes the church and the ministry. And, and hearing from God is a great need today. And so I think that's what, and, he, and he's called me to do this. He, he hasn't called everyone to do what I'm doing. Um, I'm kind of a lightning rod and it's, it's a difficult, challenging message, kind of like John the Baptist. And my favorite writers of the Bible are, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Joel, and Amos, and Obadiah, and Jonah, and Micah, the, the prophets calling the nation back, because I feel that just lines up with my calling. Uh, so I think God's called me to do this. And then he prepared me, um, through a series of events, just a, just my past is not a one where people say, Oh, he went to this seminary and he has a doctorate in theology and which I don't, I'm not against. I think it's, it's really good. Uh, you, you need education. What we can't wield the word of truth without education, but Leonard Ravenhill said you can have 32 degrees and still be frozen. So, you know, I, I just, the fire of the Holy spirit, the fire, the anointing of God upon your preaching and then just the brokenness and humility. And then, and then through that, Lord, what do you want me to say? And I think also right now, God is honoring those who boldly speak his truth in love. And you can grow a mega church with tickling the ear, but you'll never challenge the heart. You'll never see lives radically change. I think that's where and why God is using Westside Christian Fellowship so profoundly. Well, I, I found your... Um sermons to be addictive i it, shane i only needed to normally i, I go through a a, a few uh, for to do my research and really get a gist of somebody's uh, ideology uh, i i couldn't stop listening to your stuff and and by the way for everyone i'm going to add links below um uh, to um uh, to shane's a number of resources um, regarding um, uh, Pastor Eidelman, his books, um, his church, and his, his sermons, uh, you will feel the same way as you get exposed uh, more to uh, uh, to Shane and, and what God has uh, has has done with him. Um, Shane, let's uh, switch over to talk about the article. Um, this um, again was uh, a bit of a response article to an interview that Andy Stanley did uh, with CNN. Uh, the name of your article in the Christian Post was America Weak and Woke. We need more prophets, not puppets. And let me read one, uh, uh, a couple of paragraphs from from this. Um, you write in your article, CNN recently released an article quoting Pastor Andy Stanley who said, saving America is not the mission of the church. Uh, I don't know Pastor Stanley, um, Shane writes, nor do I know his heart, but he highlights a real dilemma in our nation, prophetic voices who lack humility. In short, many bold preachers don't weep before they whip. And in this, you reference John 2, uh, 13 through 16. But balancing love with anger over the condition of our nation families, and churches is a hard balance to find. People who say such things, such as, 
who say things such as saving America is not the mission of the church often use uh, this phrase to justify their silence on important issues. Biblically speaking, it's impossible to be non-confrontational to a culture hell-bent on rejecting God. We can't be unhitched from God's word. And, and um, in that comment, um, Shane actually uses a word that Andy had previously used in describing how Christians should unhits themselves from the Old Testament, another uh, bit of a controversial statement by Andy Stanley. Shane, why are pastors like Andy Stanley, at least what you would get about Andy's perspective just from that article, uh, why are pastors like Andy uh, wrong? And given the three players in this process, so the individual Christians, ministers, and then the Christian church on a corporate level, how should each balance the responsibility of being Christ-based salt and light in a hyper-politically divided nation? Well, you know, I think before I answer this question, it's important to note that anytime we you know, speak out on issues like this, we really need to make sure our heart is right because there's so much disunity in the body. And my, my heart was not to create more disunity, you know, going after Andy and, and, you know, people build ministries on, they call them heresy hunters and just going after people and, and, and uh, off challenging them and pride and arrogance, because there's so much division in the body that I, I really want to make sure when I do that, it, it's not coming from that. However, when people, major leaders say these kind of statements, um, they need to be lovingly challenged, you know, unhitched from the old Testament is just n- just the phraseology is not even wise, uh, not speaking out against anything, the murdering of children, the LGBTQ agenda, um, even in Texas, you know, drag queen story hour libraries, where are these voices? So I, I think you have to be, cause I, I get people saying chain, you shouldn't say anything, you know, don't cause division, let God, you know, let them answer to God. I'm like, okay, but I also have a biblical responsibility when they say something public to challenge that. And also it's because we know what Andy has said in the past. We know that his congregation is, is a lot of mixed, uh, mixed, uh, people in the political arena, you know, on, on both sides and no sides. And so I know he's wanting to be very careful to not offend. And so that's, that's what I think is the problem with a lot of people right now is not wanting to offend. And it also, you have to look at the person who said it. For example, if you told me, Shane, the, the number one goal of the church is not to, um, I don't know the exact wording, was not to fix America or save America. And I, I think both of us would agree, yeah, true, it's not. But see, what they do is they use these catchphrases to hide behind a lack of boldness. They use these, these, these terminologies to get them off the hook from any type of biblical responsibility at all to speak the truth in love. So that's what we're challenging. These, these little catchphrases, uh, we, we're not supposed to be political. We're not supposed to America can't be saved by the church. And all these really are just an excuse. So they don't have to take any action. They don't have to say anything. They can try to just keep everyone happy, not offend. So that's what's happening. We, we don't want to, a lot of these people don't want to offend. Now, on the flip side, I think at the beginning, what you read is I wanted to, um, you know, kind of sandwich us in and, and say the point Andy is making, others are making is, is one we do have to be careful of. We can't have, you know, the angry Pharisee uh, approach. 
you know, and, and constantly angry and, and yelling at the pulpit and, and, and just saying just things that are they're not becoming someone filled with the Spirit of God. So I think that's what they're doing. They'll highlight these pastors. I don't know if you've ever seen some of the popular guys on YouTube are just saying things that are like, ooh, ah, that hurts a little bit. They're, they're kind of on my side of things, but boy, that does not help us whatsoever. And so they highlight these extreme pastors that are say say things with the wrong heart with anger. And then that's how they, they, they also cover their, their lack of, of boldness. That's what it is. How can you, how can you tell me you're spending time with God in the prayer closet, broken, humble, fasting, seeking the heart of God, and that you're going to go in front of your people and not say anything that's offensive. I, I can't buy into that. So, but to answer the second part of your question, um, you know, with I think the individual Christian, the ministers and the Christian church, um, each has to balance each other out by seeking God's will. And I'm well aware that not everyone has the same calling. You know, you, Tony Perkins at Family Research Council, Dr. Dobson, or, you know, you just list all these other people. And I mentioned MacArthur earlier or uh, John Piper or, you know, we have different callings. So not everyone is going to be slash political. And not everyone is going to be just primarily, we're going to be active in this area of ministry that God has called us to. And so we also have to be careful that, that we're not wrongly judgmental, if that makes sense. You know, why aren't they speaking out more like me? And they might be saying, why, why is he so bold in this area? And so realizing God gives us diverse gifts for the body of Christ. But these, and we'll probably talk about that term, these woke pastors, I, I think of Andy Stanley or, you know, Joel Steen or Steve Furnick. And, and again, I don't know these guys. I'm not in a position to say false prophets or anything, but I'm like, guys, the nation is crumbling from within. The family is being destroyed. And you're not going to say anything about these controversial issues. It, it appears that you're wanting to tickle the ear and not challenge the heart. It appears you don't want to lose your audience. And so we need to start asking, instead of, have I offended you? We need to start asking, have I offended God by my silence? Hmm. And so that's why I think... These, these, uh, many of these pastors are just, uh, in the, you can, even in my area with Rick Warren and just, just <laughs> the silence during COVID and the capitulation and, and, um, uh, with CRT and so many things. It's just, so for me, it's heartbreaking. I mean, I don't come and, and I want, I want to go get these guys. I really, I'm not, I'm, I, I don't like naming names. I don't, it's not the mark of my ministry, but, I believe there comes a time and a place where you can say, Hey guys, this is not right. How else are we, how else is iron sharpened if you don't sharpen the iron? And so if they're going to say these things publicly, well, then you better be able to, to handle some constructive criticism. So I think, I think from an individual Christian perspective, just because we are a follower of Christ, uh, that does not mean that we should um, set aside our responsibility as a citizen of this nation to to participate in the political process. But what about the church on a on a corporate level and and specifically um, tactical agenda items? Um, my I'm uh, uh, a few credits away from completing my doctorate of ministry at Liberty University, and the one of the yeah. former presidents of Liberty, Jerry Falwell, uh, famously established the moral majority um, where uh, they, that particular organization had a very aggressive um, uh, perspective on political uh, uh, issues and political influence. Uh, what do you think the role of the church is, maybe the minister from the pulpit or the church on a corporate level, in addressing tactical 
changes, um, you know, such as, for example, the increase, uh, increasing the ideological diversity in American colleges, applying Mm -hmm. congressional pressure on hot button items or federal laws that maybe prohibit woke and LGBT propaganda for being presented in schools. What about the role of the church in driving tactical issues on a political level? Boy, that's, you know, Jeff, that's a great question because I struggle with that question. Like I'm sure many people do it to what level, to what degree. And I know the, the, um, the majority, uh, the moral majority, you know, obviously caught a lot of heat in the 1980s and things, but um, I don't know if you can ever be non-controversial, you know, as long as your heart's right and you're seeking God. And, and what I often say is the truth will offend, but my attitude shouldn't. And I think that's where we miss it a lot. That not only is the truth offending, my arrogant, bombastic attitude is offending. And that's where I think we miss a lot of these things. But to answer your question, I often say, too, that it, it, these questions, even when I ask them to other people as well, it's like the Titanic has been hit. And we're saying, okay, how do we fix the leak? You know, it's, it, at some point, the only hope for this nation is another spiritual awakening. God reviving his church, reviving his people. Um, but practically speaking, I think as you spend more time with God and, and fully surrender your life and God begins to direct you, he's going to, he's going to give you uh, the, the desire of your heart in these areas. Maybe somebody won't be that active at all. Maybe their ministry is to the homeless, or maybe their ministry is in the mission field, and they're, and that's okay. Um, but to answer your question, the church is not to be a, a political movement. It's to be a spiritual influence in all areas of life. So I think that anytime the church corrects itself, it, it can kind of go maybe too far in the other direction. So now we're going to be this big political movement. And I don't know if there's easy answers because what does that look like? You know, if, if you say, hey, uh, w- here's why you might want to vote for Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton. OK, well, now you're a, a bigot and a white supremacist. And a, it's like, well, OK, so I can't mention that in LGBTQ here in California, you know, um, they have uh, drag queen days at, at the libraries. And boy, that's not this is not healthy. This is not good. I'm going to protest that. OK, well, now you're your homophobia, you know, homophobic. And OK, I can't guess I can't do that. And so it's almost like we, 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 we don't want to do anything because now we're going to offend people. And so I don't know if we're ever going to get a we're always going to offend. But I think it's making sure it's what how what the Lord wants you to take up the cause and offend. You know, in the whether it's the abortion industry, and I just can't believe. Look at with Kavanaugh's house, uh, a, a, a serious death death threat mm-hmm. was at Kavanaugh's house. But then you have this what they would call ultra right group up in Idaho that thirty one or so, thirty two of them got arrested. I don't know. That's not the right message either. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have it on both. But I think what's happening, people don't understand, is we are we are getting so frustrated with. And that's how do you find how do you find that balance between an angry prophetic voice and a loving shepherd? You know that because you know zeal for his house has consumed me. Look at how God's word is being mocked, and and, and little kids are being sexually abused and able to train change their sex. And how how should that not well up inside of you a righteous indignation? And then on the flip side, though, now we don't want to offend anyway. We don't upset. I don't want to hurt feelings. I don't want to. It, I I don't know if that balance is even possible to find. Um, but to answer the question, I think people should get involved in areas 
they feel called to get involved. A friend of mine is running for friends of mine have ran for uh, positions of senator and, and congressman. I know in 2000, I think it was 2006, seven. I, I don't forget the dates. I was working construction, just a you know c- contract construction worker, and I w- was there with wall builders David Barton and and uh, some others, and they were talking about partial birth abortion, and it just I went back to the hotel room and cried myself to sleep. And I said, Lord, if you give me a voice, I will, I will speak out. I will make a difference and I will give a voice to those who have no voice. And this is coming from no church, no podcast, no ministry. I was working on maybe my third book. There's nothing. I had no voice. And so then God takes that voice. And then now the Christian post is interested. I write for the stream, the Christian headlines, charisma news, a lot of different news outlets. These articles appear on that's only God. And so um, if people would just walk in their God-given abilities and what God has called them to do, I think we would make a big difference, but we've got to stay humble and broken and, and our, our, our gun safes are full, but our prayer closets are empty. Mm. And I'm a big fan of the second amendment. I grew up shooting trap and, and, uh, and dove and pheasant and chucker and all, you know, I'm, I'm, but when our gun safes are full and our prayer closets are empty, something's wrong. And so we see our anger isn't being balanced with brokenness and humility. So that's why a lot of times we're sending the wrong message. And everything you mentioned, Liberty, um, funny, I just read a book on the power of fasting and how he fasted for 40 days for the money from Liberty and then fasted again. And uh, it's funny, I read that story. But and you could correct me if I'm wrong, but the foundation of it looked pretty, I mean, pretty solid. I mean, we got have to go and make a difference. But then I think it got um, maybe too much of the focus was on that. I think he even mentioned in his biography that he needed to back off of that a little bit and get back into church work. And so I think it's just correcting us. But that balance is very, very hard to find because we are talking about destroying innocent life. We are talking about shedding innocent blood. We, the, 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 the hand of God, the judgment hand of God, if it does not fall upon this nation, you know, it, it, and the only thing I believe keeping it back, the stay of God's hand of judgment is that remnant calling out and crying and, and seeking the heart of God and Lord revive us in this measure of bondage, give us hope. And so um, I don't know if that answered it, but I don't know how we can, because t- to me, I love voting. I love protesting if we need to, but there's nothing more powerful than the prayer closet. There's nothing more broke uh, than if you say, Lord, I'm going to fast today. I'm going to pray. I'm going to humble myself. I think that is what we're missing. We're actually missing the key ingredient to God changing our nation. Did you know there was 140 days of proclamation of prayer and fasting in our nation from Washington and Lincoln and and now we don't, we get rid of the fasting part. We get rid of the prayer part. We just put these things together. Churches, where's the prayer meeting? Linda Ravenhill says it's usually in a, in a, in an obscure room in the back on an off night and that nobody comes to it. That needs to be the focal point. Spurgeon had a hundred people praying underneath this church every sermon. And so we've started, we open our church at six in the morning every Sunday and we just have prayer and worship for the first hour and a half. Then we go into a prayer meeting before our services even start. And I'm not saying, oh, look at us, we do things right. We're just so desperate. We are so desperate to hear from God that we've got to go back to those old truths of brokenness, humility, and prayer, and fasting, and seeking the heart of God. And then from that will come the actions, if that makes sense. And so many people worry about the actions. What do we need to do? What do we need to do? Okay, well, first, that needs to come from a foundation of spiritual health. And there are, unfortunately, statistics that back up uh, the comments that you just made. Um, oh, good. That's Shane. good to know. Yeah, Shane, the um, uh, in the book that John and I just um, 
um, just had published, uh, deconverted the dismantling and deconstruction of the contemporary church. This was a study of uh, a, uh, former Christians that became atheists and an exploration of, of their thought process and why. And in that book, I mentioned a number of uh, data points from uh, Pew Research regarding um, the shockingly low embrace of prayer among self-professing Christians today, the shockingly low number of people that uh, read the Bible uh, on a regular basis. Um, And uh, to your point, um, uh, you know, what we're seeing uh, from a standpoint of the impact to our ability to discern truth um, it is because we, we aren't grounded in the fundamental aspect of things that, that allow us to discern truth. And uh, so, I, uh, there, unfortunately, there's statistics to back up your, your comment. Let me. So picking up on, on that, another quote from um, your article, America Week and Woke. And, and by the way, I'll be adding that link below the video as well. Uh, You write uh, CNN quotes Stanley because in their eyes, he supports their narrative. Uh, You won't find secular news uh, outlets quoting and supporting bold preachers. Why? Because bold, Christ-centered, truth-elevating preaching exposes and dismantles their, their agenda. If secular news outlets are on your side, are you sure that you're on the right side? And it, this is a, it goes back to a conversation that John and I have frequently. Uh, there, there's two ways to see if you're going the, the right direction. Uh, one, and the preferred way, is to uh, see what uh, the Word of God says and follow that. The other way is see what the enemy says and do the opposite. And, and <laughs> um, you know, there's something uh, to, to be said about uh, both of those. Well, this comment, uh, Shane raises a point regarding Christian discernment. Uh, mm-hmm. Another angle on this is a comment from the SBC podium by James Merritt. Um, he, he said, uh, if some people were as passionate about the gospel as they are CRT, um, we'd win this world to Christ tomorrow. Um, given the multitude of New Testament warnings regarding invasive ideologies, um, yeah. Do you agree with Merrick and, and won't this perspective on acquiescence to secular influence uh, keep us vulnerable to the next wave of destructive ideological attacks on the church? That's a big question. I think we can unpack it, though. And, um, you know, you made a good point with CNN. If CNN, if CNN is using something I said in my sermon and or quoting me to push an agenda you and and andy would agree with their agenda maybe i don't know that that's a dangerous spot to be Mm -hmm. and you see a lot of these guys when they go on oprah or the view the world and now the world should like you as a person right you're you know you're 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 not offensive as a person but the truth is offensive and so that 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 right there rings a rings a a bell in my mind when cnn is using what he says to prove and and mask their agenda but anyway back to your question and and this is where your, your help would be great here because I don't know um, Merritt who said this, but to me, <clears throat> it sounds like he's not agreeing with CRT, but he's challenging it. But I could be wrong. Maybe he, but he, in other words, he's saying, hey, if some of you liberal woke pastors, if you'd spend as much time preaching the true gospel as you do CRT, we would, we would turn this world around for Christ tomorrow. And so 
that's what I got from it. But then you bring up a good point because if you're not clarifying um, what CRT is, the destructive nature of it, you know, critical race theory, basically <clears throat> that white people are oppressors because of my skin color, which is, it, it's so far removed from biblical truth that, that anybody with, with any type of biblical knowledge should be able to see that. But yes, we have to be careful if he's promoting or he seems to be promoting or people would take it as he's promoting CRT. Hey, both preach CRT and win this world and, 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 and also preach the gospel. So that you might be able to clarify more on that. But I think it is dangerous when we don't clarify what these destructive things are coming into the church. And, you know, we don't want to get in theological debates on the age old story. You know, your statistics, I, I definitely want to get your book now on um, and those people. Now, did they fall away or did they even really, were they even really saved to begin with? You know, so I, 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 a lot of these, a lot of these pastors, I, 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 boy, I, and again, I don't want to judge it's up to God, but you really have to wonder, do they have a deep and abiding relationship with Christ? So full of his truth, so full of brokenness and humility. If so, how are they coming up with this nonsense? Uh, There's pastors in my area who apologize for being white. I about fell over in my chair because see that you don't have the spirit of God in you. You, you have this, this spirit of offense. You've got the the flesh. You've got, oh, I just want to please all these people. And th- that's what I think is really destructive is this, this ideological framework where it's skin color or America is bad. And as we know, America is not good or bad. She's not Christian, not Christian, but her foundation was built on the solid foundation of God's word from the court system to William Blackstone's commentaries of the law on, on those and the constitutions. And even this whole separation of church and state, which is not even in the Constitution, which, you know, I mean, all of this is, is and, and how many founders actually fought against slavery? How many founders brought it to an end? How, and see, they don't talk about any of that because there's an agenda. It's called a false narrative. Make America look bad and make her institutions look bad. That's why they call it systematic racism, because it's in every system. So then we have to dismantle every system when we should say we need the gospel into every system. You change the heart. You're not going to have racism. That's what cracks me up. We got to teach on racism, teach on this and not be this and not be this and be woke. And, and no, you got to change the heart that that's going to change everything else. But what, yeah, what are your thoughts on what he said there? Yeah, I I agree. But I think that there's a, if you take a look at um, what the angel of the Lord shared with John in the revelation uh, two and three, um, some of the warnings to the seven churches uh, included, um, you know, um, warnings regarding ideologies um, sure. seeping into the church. So I, I think without a doubt, what you said is that is the absolute starting point. And that that's the point that's that gives you the lens to see everything else with clarity. But there's also the, the, the threat constantly that the enemy is always looking for an opening. And, and I think it, it, it's important that, um, that, that, that we maintain that vigilance. Um, and um, and if, you, if we don't, uh, we're going to be caught unawares and uh, even with good intentions, even with mm-hmm. good intentions. And yep. I think that's really what may be the case with uh, some of the leaders that we see that uh, even with with good intentions, that that you cannot open the door uh, to those ideologies because the only way to eliminate those ideologies is to pull them up by the root and get them out completely. Another quote 
from your uh, article. Um, you, st- you state, uh, many of us are becoming weary of the silent pulpit that seems more comfortable slamming bold saints than confronting blatant, uh, blatant sinners. Weak sermons from woke pastors won't convict the sinners who need redemption. So there's two R words that I want to talk to you about. And one, after researching to some of your books and your sermons, you use an R word that uh, is rarely used. Not very, it's not popular. You sure you want to go there? <laughs> it is not popular, Are you sure? okay. without a doubt. And that R word is repentance. <clears throat> and it's something that you use uh, frequently um, and, um, and is rarely used. Uh, by the uh, by the um, woke uh, ministers. Why do you use that term and why is it important to win, disciple, train and mature Christians based on the implications of repentance? Well, there's a lot there, huh? Um, And before I get to that, let me springboard off of something you said. We, We wokeness, because not everyone knows, you know, exactly what it means. And I guess it's who defines it really, you know, because we could say at its core, it means being more sensitive to injustice. Mm -hmm. Okay. That in and of itself is not a problem. And that's, you know, I even get accused. Well, you're not sensitive. You're not because you don't embrace the wokeness agenda. Wokeness, what it's being referred to uh, being in being, you're being insensitive to injustices, but what they do, they go a step further and now, because they don't want to offend anyone, they water down the truth of God's word. And that's why wokeness becomes now very dangerous and deadly and damning. Because now I'm not going to talk about any type of controversial thing because it could upset someone. Right. And that's what wokeness is, the wrong type of definition. And I have a pretty good understanding here in California. I've had some experiences where... Um, you know, I was going to speak at a large church in Southern California that was kind of going woke and they eventually uh, they split and praise God, the liberal pastors left, but they cancel my speaking engagement. Once they started to read, you know, and see the same things you're reading, you enjoy, they, they didn't like it. So they canceled me. I, I, I was scheduled to speak there. They gave me like one week notice. Um, and then, you know, locally others, I know pastors, liberal pastors, and the churches are shrinking because people are hungry for truth. And it's, it's that same that said, you've got to wonder, do they genuinely have a relationship with Jesus Christ? I would say, sadly, a lot of these guys don't. I don't think they truly have the fire of God in them because how can you spend time in God's word, prayed up in the fire of God's word, wanting to obey his word and then not talk about anything in his word? It, because what they're doing is they're tickling the ears. They're not challenging the heart. And so there's a consistent theme here. The wokeness, the CRT, they also don't mention repentance, judgment, the blood of Christ, obedience, full surrender, holy. They don't mention any of the controversial topics. It makes you really wonder, boy, I don't know where their heart is at, unless they've so quenched and grieved the spirit of God because of political correctness that, that they're not hearing from God and they want to, they don't want to upset people. They want to grow their church. They want to grow their audience. They want to be, that's where that word seeker sensitive, you know, I think it came from California actually many years ago. 
And, but of course, the flip side, of course, you want to be sensitive to the seeker. I want to love them, understand them. I don't want to come across wrong, but at the end of the day, they're coming into God's house. Mm-hmm. I can't, can't be sensitive to what might offend them if Jesus died for these truths. So we see throughout the Bible, throughout the Bible, this word repentance is beautiful. What was the whole role of the prophetic in the Old Testament? The, pretty much the whole role was to preach repentance. I, I sent my messengers. I rose them up early and I sent them that they would, they would have compassion on my people. I had compassion on my people, but they mocked my messengers, despised my word and scoffed at my prophets until the anger of the Lord arose against his own people. And so we see Jesus didn't say, go out and preach love. He said, go out and preach repentance. We see John the Baptist coming on the scene, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Paul preaching repentance, Peter pre- pre- preaching repentance, Jesus even in those chapters of first opening chapters of Revelation, the churches that were gone astray, what do they need to do? Just come back and, and love each other and just be united? No, they need to repent. They need to repent. So the the reason I think this word is so important is because it is reconciliation. Lord, I am wrong. I'm changing my mind. I'm wrong in this, Lord, and I'm repenting, which leads to a change in action. So this this is actually how you get the church back on course. You don't get the church back on course by dialogue or even, you know, necessarily. The reason I write these articles is hopefully it leads some to repentance in some lives of people. And so that has always just been something amazing to me is you can really see the spiritual health of a pastor and leader if they're not preaching repent, not every Sunday. You know, you need to encourage moms on Mother's Day. You need to talk about unity, and but wherever the Bible takes you, uh, repentance to me seems to be just about throughout every book of the Bible. So that's why I think it really shows their heart. If a, if a church isn't preaching about the foundational doctrine, see, these are the things Jesus died for. Think about that. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of me and you and, and countless others who embrace him. The only way to access that is through repentance. A person repents and turns back to God, or they repent from lukewarmness, or they repent from false doctrine. And so, yeah, this 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 word is so important. It's really the the first word of the gospel, and even at the end of the gospel, Jesus go out and preach repentance. Shane, uh, also uh, an excerpt from your website, um, ShaneIdleman dot com reads. What makes this story so inspiring is that Eidelman had a promising career as a corporate executive. He left it behind to follow a dream that God placed in his heart after he committed his life to Christ. In Shane's words, while I had focused on prosperity, wealth, and success, I had starved my soul. I tried everything that the world had to offer, but ultimately I found uh, it offered little of lasting value. When asked why uh, he thought his books are being so well-received, Shane added, the overwhelming response simply reflects the need that we all have for the truth found in God's word. So I also uh, checked your uh, church website, and your website lists uh, seven core truths, um, uh, truth, love, discipleship, holiness, prayer, power, and Christ. So my question is pertinent to a postmodern uh, society, Shane, and the and a me culture. Mm-hmm. What is truth? And more importantly, how do we action the concept of truth mm-hmm. from a biblically grounded perspective? Sounds like the question from Pilate, too, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 
So, you know, this, this whole idea of postmodernism, as you know, maybe a lot of the listeners won't know, is this thought that we can't really know the truth. You know, what, what might be true for you might not be true for me. And we see throughout biblical history, we, we know without a shadow of a doubt that there is an absolute truth given by God. It, it, it's, 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 it's more secure than gravity. It's more secure than mathematics. It's, it's absolute truth according to God's word that has stood the test of time historically, uh, uh, archaeologically, scientifically, um, prophetically. And so that is in this me culture, I have to say, okay, there is a God there. He has a truth and I better line up with his truth. And here comes that word repentance again, you know, repenting from air, repenting from and saying, Lord, I've, and if people are out there, if they have questions and they're not even sure, take it to God. Don't listen to this, this, this guy here, this bald head guy, uh, take it to, to the Lord and say, Lord, show me your truth. Show me if you're real. I want, I want to know you. And I believe God will answer the prayer of a sincere heart. But then now truth, how it's acted out, that's, that's really important because boy, oh boy, I just looked at dozen verses last night on unity. And there's a lot in there. I, I think Christians need to take that a little bit more seriously on how to not be divisive. And, and even the, that what comes out of the flesh is division and anger and contention. And uh, God hates someone who dis- sows discord among the brethren. And so truth, to be effective, I believe, Jesus was a perfect example, must come from a humble, broken heart submitted to God. They're not going to react. They're going to respond in love. They're going to be quick to, to listen and slow to speak. And then they can proclaim the truth boldly and lovingly versus that modern day angry Pharisee. So the truth is very effective when it is acted out basically in the fruit of the spirit, correct? When you have love, joy, peace, contentment, long suffering, jealous. And I find myself, I don't get worked up. You know, if you if you go on YouTube and you put in Shane Eidelman on Fox News, uh, I've been on there a few times and flew out to New York. And uh, this guy embraced this other pastor embraced homosexuality and and uh, gay marriage. And um, it just lovingly bringing the truth. It didn't upset me. I didn't. These comments didn't, you know, just this that through the spirit. I was fasting and praying for a week, you know, Lord, and give me that love, joy, peace, contentment, long suffering, gentleness, kindness and self-control. So. I think when you see the truth coming through someone filled with God's spirit, that's where it's going to be effective. And a lot of people have truth. You know, they have how many, how many, how many conservatives have a concept of truth, but their heart has never been changed. They they have no really experience with God. And that's that modern day angry Pharisee. And then you have the liberal left that is drifting from the truth. And so both of them need just that 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 relationship with God and then embracing because when you embrace absolute truth, I think God blesses that. that. Here's you, a person. Have you ever seen lives radically change from a lot of these liberal churches? Mm. I mean, I the the life is not lives are not being changed because repentance is not happening. Full surrender and salvation is not occurring. Uh, they're just rallying their troops. And you're not seeing lives radically change because the word of God cuts like a sword and it divides the the heart. And we cry out to God and then God changes the heart from the inside out. Um, Why did speaking of uh, your church's um, um, denominational uh, status, why did you decide to um, create a um, a non-denominational church instead of being affiliated with an organization which could potentially function as an additional resource in support of the church's mission. Yeah. 
Well, first I should say it's not, it wasn't anything because of, of pride and we think we're doing it right. And we think we're the only biblical model because I think the Bible allows for denominations. You know, if you, for example, if you, uh, I mean, that's another topic. We, we don't believe that women can be elders, you know, or pastors in the church and, but other churches do. And so there might be a divi- division or the gifts of the spirit. There might be a division or even church government. You know, Calvary Chapel was usually like the mosaic form of church government where we have more of a plurality of elders. So you can see why God would allow denominations with with differences on the non-essentials within the body. So I'm not in the the with the Baptist. I mean, basically, coming from the Anabaptist and fighting the Roman Catholicism, the infant baptism and believers. So to answer your question, I guess I'm getting a rabbit trail is I would I would there wasn't anyone that I could really just join up with. We felt that God was just calling us to go non-denominational so we could be broad possibly uh, because I did have a lot of friends in the Calvary Chapel movement and they asked me, you know, about possibly becoming a, why not a Calvary Chapel? And then I read their distinctives and just some of them I couldn't sign off on, you know, cause eschatology, es- eschatology, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I can't just sign off and say, yes, this is exactly how it's going to go down. Or can a person lose their salvation? Uh, don't, I don't think so. Um, and so I can't sign off on that. And then, you know, we, I was with, uh, Acts 29 for a little while. I didn't, we never became part of them. Uh, it was Mark Driscoll. And then it was Matt Chandler after that. I think, I don't know where it's at now, but in order to be a part of that, you had to sign the, uh, the, uh, statement of faith for the, for the reformed, uh, faith, you know, tulip, tulip, total depravity, unconditional, like, let me jump. And, you know, I have thoughts on all those and there's love John Calvin's work, but I couldn't, I couldn't sign off to say that, yes, I'm just going to teach reformed. And then, you know, I, I have friends and other, so I just really couldn't choose a denomination to line up with, mm-hmm. but we do have, I do have pastors, a lot of pastors who are friends of mine and uh, you have events for pastors. And so you stay connected, you stay accountable. Plus with the plurality of elders, uh, we have the the elder board that would really be the governing body of our church. I would be the leader among equals. Uh, so there wasn't anything we're going to do it the right way. I would love to join some of these groups. Um, but even there's, I come to find out later, there are some Calvary chapels who don't believe everything in the distinctives. There are some in the reformed faith who have a little bit more uh, of leeway on, 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 uh, the exact, you know, from infant baptism to whatever it is, you name it. And so, yeah, there wasn't anything profound why we're doing it. I don't feel thus say it, the Lord, God told me to do it. None of that. It was just kind of the way it happened. And looking back, I'm really glad it did because we, we, we have all groups of people coming to our church. They know we believe in a believer's baptism. Uh, we believe in strong doctrine, theology. We believe, you know, we get kind of a get away from the isms and just focus on, you know, what does the Bible say and how can we define it to the best of our ability? And cons. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the, uh, the, 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 that one question because everything that you do, it seems to me, as someone that's uh, really spent, um, a good bit of uh, the last couple of weeks diving into um, uh, your church, your church's mission, uh, the tone and approach that you take to your um, uh, sermons. And by the way, for anybody that's in the uh, um, uh, Southern California area, I think um, you were in the Leona Valley area, which is north of L.A., I just recommend that you come to visit um, Shane and his church. It, it, everything you do seems to be very, very purposeful. And, and I'm curious, as you mature and God leads you down your path of maturation as a, uh, as a leader, 
I, I'm curious if you've ever received in your relationship with your congregants, uh, have you ever received any pushback um, from congregants or staff, uh, either legitimate, which forced you to reevaluate or illegitimate, which forced you to reject and correct any stories along that line that you can share with us? I would say that it's actually quite common uh, to receive pushback. And there's a lot of different dynamics taking place. You receive pushback from people who are convicted. Um, I mean, I run into people all the time that they come to the church and say, oh, my spouse doesn't come to the church. They, they think you're too hard uh, or you're too, you know, you're, you're just too, to just, they just feel, um, what's the right word? They feel, uh, they don't feel very motivated. And a lot of times it has to do with repentance. They, they don't want to repent. They, they feel convicted. Um, but then also you do have to look at um, constructive criticism and like, okay, is this coming from, are they genuinely concerned? Do they have a great point or are they convicted? And then I also have to look, is it coming from a critical heart? For example, like the enemy is fueling these fiery darts and, and now they're being used to kind of just weaponized by the enemy to just be critical towards me. Or do they have a, a good point that I need to look at? So usually what I'll do, and it happens, I mean, quite, I mean, just to give you an idea, we probably had, I don't know, um, when I got a little political a couple of years ago during the election, let's just say, and just just spoke the truth and love what this party believes, what this one believes. And and you 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 offend people just by that, just 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 by that, uh, because they've been a Republican all their life they've been a Democrat all their life, whatever it is. And so um, I met with them, talked with them and come to find out we're just looking through life with two different lenses. We, we don't we don't see things the same way. And so I took their complaints to um, our leadership team, all of our elders, all of our core team and say, hey, you guys, do you sense this? I'm getting too political and talking about politics too much. And 100 percent of the people said, no, we need it right now. Now, if you stay camped out there, you know, you, then you're yeah, you're getting a little bit. But this is a this was a big deal. And also, let's say I've done a six week series on the Holy Spirit and people say, oh, you're talking about the Holy Spirit too much. Where's Jesus? Well, did you know I'm in a series about the Holy Spirit? I mean, come on, folks. And so it's just no matter what, I mean, just about every week, you know, you said this. I mean, I talk a lot about health and fitness too. I have a background in health and fitness and uh, just and people are convicted about that, too. They don't want to they don't want to fast. And so anytime I talk about fasting, I just did a documentary on fasting. I did a 40 day fast, uh, primarily water only. And I just ended that about a month ago. And it's on YouTube. And uh, just it's just amazing that just with w- how the documentary turned out, the cry for our nation, the desperate throughout all revival history, the Welsh revivals and America revivals. And there was always prayer and fasting and seeking the heart of God. But then then people got upset and said, that, that's too extreme. Why are you doing that? And like, oh, my goodness. So pretty much anything I talk about, anything I write about is is getting pushback. You know, you, you enjoyed the Andy Stanley article. Uh, half a dozen other people didn't. You know, and they emailed the church and I'm divisive. I'm, so what you have to do is say, okay, is this a, is this a general, general concern? Or are they just convicted? Are they just arrogant? Are they modern day Pharisee? Are they even a believer? So you have to look at the heart of the person. But then if it's a legitimate person coming to you, um, then you have to really learn from it and repent. And I remember one time, this is, I don't know exactly now, maybe four or five years ago, this girl came in in the prayer room. We have prayer after each service too. Uh, and she was crying and said, 
that I was just came across really mean spirited and she struggles with same sex attraction. And so I cried with her and I said, that's not my heart, you know, and, and God just kind of broke me that morning and just how to be, but here's the dilemma. How do I love the person, but fight aggressively against the agenda Mm. and see, that's where she got confused because I'm coming hard on the agenda. It's, it's, it's not good to go into our school. And, but then, and then she felt because I was coming against her, you know, so felt uh, learned on that one. And maybe, maybe I'm not supposed to be so political. Uh, maybe sometimes I should back off and take that to the Lord. And I was just letting, cause a lot of us, if you, if you're a preacher, you do let anger come out in your sermons. You let frustration come out. You let apathy come out. Um, A.W. Tozer said, who a man is all weak is who he'll be when he steps to that pulpit. So if you're not spending time with God and broken and being filled with the spirit, all kinds of emotions are coming out. I don't know anybody who speaks for an hour perfectly, the heart of God perfectly, unless you just read scripture, I guess. But and so, yeah, I I get a lot of pushback. Um, But praise God, we've got a core team that the majority of the core team, we're just on the same page because that's why we're at this church, because we love the truth. We love repentance. We love loving people. But then you have people becoming invited. I mean, I've had people walk out and leave and grab their purse and just huff and puff and slam the door. You know, you can hear out in the lobby and other, because it's a very, when you, when you preach with the, what I call the fire of the Holy spirit, anointing unction, you better have it. I don't care what you call it, but you better have it. You're going to disrupt the demonic realm. We, I remember a guy was just crying out on the altar, you know, uh, six months ago, just like, what is going on there? Just weeping and God is breaking him. People are praying over him. So, and, and, and that's not normal either. Right. And so we, I kind of had to get away from, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to look too, you know, um, too, uh, what's the right word? Uh, cause I, I'm conservative by nature. But when God really, God really brings a sense of revival, it's not clean and pretty. Uh, I don't like weird stuff that's going on. I don't think we should be a, a circus, but I don't think we should be a cemetery because when God is breaking, breaking men at the altar, we I had an altar call where it was all men on Father's Day or something like that. And you hear guys weeping and just crying out to God and like, what is that's so should I stop that or is that okay? And so it's hard to steward that environment. And we get complaints about that, our worship music you know, is too, the new one is too emotional. Well, how do you know it's not God given emotion? Can I sing amazing grace for, for 12 minutes and be at the altar? God just breaking me. He's humbling me. I come out of there, a better husband, a better father, a better preacher. And so, you know, you just, it's just constant with this type of ministry, very constant, but you can learn from it. And, um, and as you know, I mean, revivals, there's always something written against revivals. It's amazing how we quote, we quote, we quote, We'll love to quote George Whitfield, but we don't want to talk about the oddities that happened under his preaching. We'd love to quote, uh, you know, Spurgeon, but don't dare, you know, talk about when he gave a prophetic word to somebody in the audience or, or, um, John Knox used to have dreams, uh, with the Queen of Scotland's and, and, and she would fear his prayers more than the armies of England. And, and so, um, I'm not for oddities. I, I don't think, uh, this, I know it's a rabbit trail. I think we were conservative by nature, but when God breaks a place, God comes in and really rips open the hearts. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit messy. Our prayer room can be seen. People sometimes are just crying and we have to hold on to them. And, and just the, when the spirit of the living God is given full reign to just really transform the hearts, it's, uh, it's, it's very challenging environment. So yes, I get a lot of pushback. Uh, from from our church, from members of our church, but it's 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 kind of sporadic and it's um, 
you know, you have to learn from it too. Okay. Do I need to work on this area? Is this something I can learn from? Can I be better in this area? So it's just constantly uh, changing. Uh, Shane, as we uh, uh, take a look at uh, uh, at the church today and maybe tomorrow, uh, assuming we uproot wokeness, as I believe that we'll need to do to defeat it, what do you see as the next great challenge to the 21st century church? Boy, I'm not prophetic in nature either, really, but uh, we can give a shot. What I think happens, I mean, anytime I believe, you know, this this is a strong point of our ministry is Jesus's church will prevail. I will build my, my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Anything Jesus is doing, you're lining up with him will prevail. Uh, but you see, I mean, even, even back in the Gnostic gospels and early church fathers, what they wrote about, you can read uh, uh, Irenaeus uh, uh, and Polycarp and Justin Martyr. And, you know, I have some, differences there. And you, you read uh, Luther's debate with uh, was Erasmus mm-hmm. and Augustine with Plagian. And you see the different, you know, all this, there's always something trying to come in and distort the truth, distort the gospel. So I don't know what will happen with wokeness. Hopefully we wake up and realize we can be concerned about injustice. We can be concerned about racism, but I know what's going to change racism is a changed heart. I can't avoid certain things and not offend people. I have to, as long as my attitude doesn't offend again. But so I think what's happening is we've been seeing a lot of how I feel, um, how I feel, how I was born. This is just who I am. That's going to be a constant threat to the church. It fuels wokeism. It fuels uh, postmodernism. And if you, if you go back even with uh, the early writings of uh, in the 17th, 1800s, and was it Darwin's book? And it was always, you know, feeling what I think. And so I think that's going to be the constant, uh, the, the constant enemy of the truth is how we feel and what we think is long. And we don't line it up with scripture. We're in trouble. And so I think that's, what's going to be hate speech probably is going to be coming up soon. Romans one, you know, any, you can't talk about these things that are controversial. It's, it hurts people's feelings, right? So I, I think that's where we're going to be seeing a lot of this going. Uh, Shane, as I mentioned to you, uh, kind of offline, everything you do seems so uh, purposeful uh, from a standpoint of the uh, the mission of your church. I'm curious if you take a look at uh, tactical uh, things that churches um, uh, should or could be doing. What's your perspective on, on one thing that the uh, church um, should stop doing that um, you find is common in churches today, and maybe one thing that they should start doing uh, that you find is mm-hmm. is is not commonly commonly in place in churches today that that maybe you have adopted uh, in your church. Anything there that you would highlight? Well, I think the majority of of a lot of churches, <clears throat> especially you mentioned, you know, some of the names we talked about earlier. Even when I go, you know, I visit a church or I guess speak at a church, we've, I don't know even the best way to define it or say it, but it's almost this get them in and get them out mentality. Mm. Um, you know, now I know there's, there's some services that are just in, over an hour, the whole service. Sometimes our worship goes for an hour, you know? And so again, we're not saying we do the things the right way, but all I'm saying is there needs to be a hunger for God. It used to be called the Lord's day, not the Lord's hour. You know, when where there was a just a get them in, get them out parking lot. And then we 
and when when I look at these these models of the churches too, there is actually little time for prayer. It's right. just a quick footnote. Oh, oh, on your way out, if you need if you need prayer, stop by our, the prayer team out there. Right. Just a quick little. But the prayer. So what I would if to answer your question, what a lot of churches need to stop doing immediately is stop centering around what people want uh, and go back to what God wants. And it might it might change is hard. It upsets some people. Um, but now you're going to be running on all eight cylinders. Now you're going to be seeking the heart of God. And then what they need to incorporate is bring back the, the I mean, the prayer meeting is what fueled the early church. They were in the upper room for 10 days praying and waiting on God. And you look at throughout church history, you look at the revivals, uh, even look at the Reformation. With We have you know Lutheran Germany, Knox there in Scotland and Swingley in, in Switzerland. And you just read their journals on... Um, Calvin, Sweden, uh, Geneva, you just read read how how prayer and fasting was a part of their life. And then you get into the Welsh revivals in America and Scotland and Europe and from D.L. Moody and Whitfield and Wesley and Edwards. And, um, you know, the most famous sermon in America centers in the hands of an angry God would never fly today. And uh, he was on a, he was on a fast and prayer during that time. So we need to bring back just the, the basics, choose the old paths. And I would say, OK. On this night, we're going to have prayer and worship. We're not going to, um, you know, we're, we're going to make it a main night. We're going to make it a main issue of our church. Maybe like what we do is instead of, you know, getting there early uh, and doing nothing, we get there early and we put on worship. We have a time of prayer. It's, it's a couple hours before our services start. And again, we're not, we, we're not saying, well, we do everything right. We're just saying we're so desperate for God. We've got to hear from him. And so when you start adding back prayer, start adding back worship, start adding back obedience and unity and love and humility and the fullness of the spirit, that's when the church is going to really make a difference. So I would even, if I was a pastor, I would spend some time. Uh, I don't remember his name, William Steele. I think it was, he, it says he, he burned, he ripped up all his sermons, threw all his sermons into the fire and received the fire of the spirit because he'd realized, he'd realized he was worried about his inductive and deductive immediate approach, his hermeneutic and homiletic abilities there. And did I, my theological persuasions, I've got my three points and got my poem and everything was just so perfect and wanting to impress people. He, until he got before God almighty and said, Lord, what do you want to do in my life? I humble myself before you, God, fill me with your spirit. And that's when we hear of this person. Same thing with D.L. Moody. We didn't hear from him until he had this fullness of the spirit. Uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his last chapter on that book, Preachers and Preaching, talks about the endowment of the spirit, the fullness of the spirit, the empowerment of the spirit. So I think pastors have to get back to that because that is that is the catalyst of the church. That is the fuel of the church, the prayer meeting and the pastor on fire for God. Let's talk about one aspect, Shane, that I think is uh, important to both of us, and that is the the youth uh, of the church and really the youth of America in general. Um, the The academy um, is dealing with uh, woke ideology. Uh, the church is dealing with woke theology. Um, from a standpoint of all the mixed messages that the youth uh, in the church uh, is getting, and struggling with, um, how do we connect with the youth with the reality of truth when truth may not be as viscerally attractive as woke yeah. theology? True, true. Well, a couple of things come to mind, and I wrote a book, What Works for Young Adults, uh, years ago, and I remember sitting down with a large group of young adults and throwing out questions and surveys, asking youth pastors 
and nothing has really changed. Here's the, the good news is they are hungry for the truth. They, they, they want the truth. They are hungry for the truth. And so with, with the truth, here's what we always have to remember. Truth invites scrutiny, but air will run from it. Truth invites scrutiny. Hey, let's scrutinize it. Let's sit down. Let's debate. Let's talk about it. But air will always run from it, whether it's air of false religion, whether it's, you know, some of these, these uh, woke pastors, they don't want to sit down and talk about it. Why not? Have you never notice that? They, 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 they don't want to talk. They don't want to go on podcasts. They don't want to talk about this issue. They just want to, they just want to beat you up from the pulpit, the bold saints, and uh, they don't lead any sinners to the Lord. But anyway, so the, the youth are hungry for truth. And what they're looking at is they're looking at our grace and our humility, but also our boldness. And so I think if you can, instead of getting angry and upset, and uh, you can relay the message of truth with the right heart and also be relevant. I think how much we can be so relevant right now. I think we can be more relevant than wokeness without a shadow of a doubt. The truth is very relevant. So with the LGBT issue, for example, I talked to that. We have people that attend our church and I say, listen, um, this is a big issue right now. And God's word is crystal clear. And you can get rid of the depression and the suicidal thoughts. And here's how lead you to the cross. And you might not change overnight. It might be a struggle. All of us have some type of struggle, but here's, here's the hope. Here's the reality. And others are struggling with, you know, I don't even the suicide right now among young adults. I don't know if you've viewed it is very high, especially with uh, teenage girls. Mm -hmm. And because they're getting their hope and their looks on Facebook and Instagram, Twitter, and uh, and TikTok and just it's just not good healthy stuff. And so you can give them the truth of what God's word says, where this whole postmodern wokeism really has no it has no concrete, it has no bearing. It's like, well, what, what do you think? Here's what I think. Let's remember you mentioned. I think we talked about Rob Bell in one of the emails and and uh, that emergent church movement. I remember 20 years ago they wanted to replace the pulpit with a couch. Mm. They, they want to say, let's just have a conversation. Let, let's just dialogue. And nobody, nobody had anything of substance. It was just, it reminds me of some presidential candidate speaking, you know, and, and, um, and so I think the youth are hungry for the truth. So if you can tell them, show them the truth in love. And also remember, we're planting seeds. You might not see the, 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 the flower grow. Thank God for the prayers of my mom that she didn't see for a while. And so with the youth, we're planting seeds. They're, they're going through spirit, periods of, 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 of rebellion and, and challenging their parents and, and challenging wokeism, or not wokeism, but <clears throat> challenging those who go against it. You know, some of their favorite preachers. You know, my kids sometimes will tune, tune into some of these guys on YouTube and stuff. So instead of saying, like, for example, Steve Furnick, you know, instead of telling my daughter, hey, you don't ever listen to that guy again. Say, well, okay, I mean, he's, what do you get from this? Well, you know, yeah, it's pr- pretty positive, motivational speaker. But when he said this, what, do you, what are your thoughts on this about the Bible? And, and this kind of, this point, and, and okay, yeah, and, and you kind of walk them through it. And they kind of kind of see for themselves with scripture. And so um, that's what I think we deal with. We deal with truth and love and, and not being pushy and heavy handed and iron fisted in our homes, because that really pushes kids away as well to love them, to listen to them. And then the truth is very attractive. The truth is very, very attractive. And wokeism, for example, I'll teach some of my, I have four daughters and a son all under 17. And so three teenagers I'll have here at home shortly. Uh, One's almost a teenager, but you know, dad, why do they, 
they white people or, or racism or American nationalism. Well, here's why, because they believe that your skin color determines if you like people or not. Well, isn't that stupid? They say, and I'm like, yeah, it is. And so you let them figure it out for themselves. Well, how is America bad? They say America, how is it bad? It can't be bad. It was based on the character of her people. And so that's why I wrote One Nation Above God, to give to youth and young adults to show them the foundation of our, of our nation and how a lot of these things are being distorted and the foundation is being really uh, knocked out from the bottom up to crumble the whole, the whole thing. So I hope that answers your question, but youth are hungry for the truth as long as we can convey it. And I've made this mistake before. You know, don't ask me questions. Don't challenge me. That's just the way it is in this house. And, and I don't like that guy. Don't ever listen to him again. And, and that, it's like, is, is that really the right approach for saying, okay, let's talk about this for a minute. Let's see. Can you see this? And, and, uh, and some things, I mean, you have to pull the, pull the plug on him. I mean, one of my children was into watching video game, a video game that's pretty violent, you know, and shoot and say, we're done with that. You know, we can't, we can't have that in our house, but other things, I think on this area of truth, um, now I've got my kids watching Ray comfort and they're hearing, you know, how he handles the gospel. And then, um, so I, I hope that helps. I know that's a little bit long there, but they are hungry for the truth and they, they can spot a counterfeit uh, pretty easily. I would say we're not too far gone because God is a God of hope. God is a God of restoration. God is a God of renewal. Uh, he wants to draw us back to him, but we've got to come to him in full surrender full repentance. We've got to own our sin. And I, I still believe that second Chronicles is applicable today. If my people, if not Hollywood, not Washington, but those who hear the heart of God, those who desire more of God, if they would humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways, he would begin to heal our land. There'll always be evil. There'll always be things working against us, but we've got to turn back to God like never before. That is our only hope. America has stage four spiritual cancer. And the only way that we're going to be healed is to turn back to God and God alone. If you've enjoyed this episode of Idleman Unplugged, be sure to send us your ideas and topics for future episodes of the podcast. You can send us an email at westsidechristianfellowship.org or shaneidleman.com. Again, my name is Luke Duncan, and I am your host of Idleman Unplugged. Thank you for listening to us today, and join us again on the next episode. Thank you for listening to Eidelman Unplugged. For more information, visit us at shaneidelman.com. Again, that's shaneidelman.com. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. El Paseo Publications proudly supports the Westside Christian Fellowship Radio Network. We are committed to quality in Christian publication. Free ebooks can be found at westsidechristianfellowship.org under free ebooks. Books such as What Works for Men and What Works for Young Adults will help readers understand that the obstacles ahead are never greater than God's power to take you through. Books such as What Works When Diets Don't and Feasting and Fasting demonstrate how health can be achieved from a biblical perspective. Other free books such as 
Answers for a Confused Church and Desperate for More of God show the importance of fully surrendering our lives to Christ. And One Nation Above God is a must-read for anyone concerned about the direction of America. Again, free downloads of these e-books are available at westsidechristianfellowship.org. We are happy about partnering with the Westside Christian Fellowship Radio Network.